All right, grab your notes. As I said, today we are kicking off a series that we're calling Unseen, and we're talking about spiritual warfare. Now, as I've laid out this series, I have to admit that to me, in some ways, this doesn't seem as marketable as other topics we've done this year. But I want you to know how absolutely urgent it is, not just for you individually, but for our church. Let's just look at what Paul says, those first lines again. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's what? Schemes or methods. Now, I want you to know in Ephesians, up until now, if you read Ephesians, what you're going to see is that Ephesians talks about the constructive side of the Christian life. In fact, if you want to know what it means to be a Christian, you just stand back and you'll begin to learn a lot from it. You go to chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4. In 1, for example, you begin to learn what God is going to do to... to take care of the universe and the mess that it's in. There's all this confusion in the universe and it's gonna be solved by Jesus Christ being made king of all things. Look at it, it says things like this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every what? Spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It's in him that we have redemption. It goes on, look at this next screen. It says he has made known to us right in the middle the mystery of his will according to his pleasure. It was a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on the earth. See, what he's saying so far is as a Christian, you need to understand that in the kingship of Jesus Christ, that which disintegrates integrates. Under the kingship of Jesus Christ, where there is confusion in the universe, now things start to cohere. And this is what chapter one is dealing with. Then you get into chapters two and three, and basically chapters two and three, he says, here's how it works. Through the blood of Jesus, God brings power into our lives as we choose to trust him. Notice it says, for you were dead in your trespasses and sins, all of us, That means you, that means me, but God who is rich in mercy out of great love with which he loved us, he made us alive together with Christ. And look what it says, now to him who by power and work within us is able to accomplish more than we could think. And then, so you get to two and three, and then you get to chapters four, five, and six. We're doing a quick exposition here of the whole book. You ready? You should read this book when you go home. It's short. You could probably do it in 30 minutes. Then Paul says, okay, if all of this is true, how then shall we live? And then in the last few chapters, Paul gives a detailed description on what it means to live the Christian life. In fact, notice he says, I therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, beg you, would you, Christian, please lead a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called? Don't be a child. Grow up. Become the person that God has told you to be. And you know what he begins to deal with in 4, 5, and 6? He talks about what it means to change and be filled with the Holy Spirit and to take that spirit-filledness into every area of your life. He talks about relationships. You want to talk practical. Ephesians is practical. He talks about relationships. 
He talks about marriages. He talks about dating relationships. He talks about fathering and parenting and mothering. He talks about husbanding and wifing. He talks about your family life. He talks about your work life. Do you know in Ephesians, he even talks to you about drinking alcohol. You need to read that. It's very practical. But here's what's fascinating to me. You get to the end of everything he said, heavy, great stuff, good stuff. You get to the end, and you think he's going to say, sincerely, your friend, Paul. Peace out. But that is not what he says. No, after he gets done saying all of these things, notice he says, finally. Finally. Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power and put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against what? The devil's schemes. Now, what he means is, he's saying, listen, Christian, everything that I have said before means nothing unless you see the context in which you're working. Unless you see the context in which you're working, you're gonna make a mistake. Now, let me give you an example. Let's just imagine that I, I got with a group of people and I send them off to build a fort. And I send them off with blueprints, right? And I say to them, hey guys, you're the masons. You're the carpenters. Here's the material. Here's the blueprint. Get out there. You go for it. And then they start walking and I say, oh, I forgot to tell you. You're actually gonna be working in enemy territory. And while you're working, people are gonna try and kill you. They're gonna try and shoot you. Well, that's helpful to know. That's a bit of an important safety tip, don't you think? We're gonna, we're gonna work on building the fort, but now we're gonna have to work differently because we understand that we're in a war here. Now, I'm telling you, that is exactly what Paul is doing. Paul is saying, here is the Christian life. Here's what it means to build the Christian life. But you have to realize you're doing it surrounded by forces that are out to destroy you. That's what he's saying. Finally, be strong in the Lord again and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. We keep reading this over and over. Schemes, it's sometimes translated wiles or plans. Satan, he's like wild E. Coyote. He is constantly setting traps for your life. This is how the Bible describes him, except he doesn't fail most often. He is smart. In fact, the Greek means methods. He is he is methodological. He plans. Satan, does Satan doesn't just shoot in the air and hope it hits its target. He lays out plans, and he sets you up. Notice this. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against the powers of this dark world. It literally says that there are spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And he says, after you've done everything to stand, put your mic on correctly. <laughs> Is that what he said? Love you. Everybody say thank you to Andrew. 
After you've done everything to stand, stand. Now listen to me, guys. Let me take a minute here. Even if you're a skeptic, if for just a minute you would just take off your bias and your prejudice, you know what he's talking about. He's basically saying that there are some days that are just doggone evil. Have you ever had one of those? There are some days when you just cannot believe that everything seems to be working together against you or your family. That it seems like things are about as bad as they could possibly be. And Paul calls it, what kind of a day? He says it's an evil day. That there is an evil day where there is some power or some force that shadows us like a cloud. There are some days where you just feel bad. There are some days where you just feel tempted. And it's as though something is egging you on. Now listen, you may be here and you're a skeptic. You're not a believer and you are welcome. Keep coming. We love that you're here. But no matter who you are, I'm going to say this to you. There are a few different ways you can respond to this kind of a day. What are you going to do? One of them is you could just shrug it off. You could just say, oh, well, this is just a bunch of coincidences. Some people do that. Another way is you could get paranoid and freaked out and call your relatives. You're under attack. The devil's in my house. Call Pastor Shane. Get him over here to anoint the place with oil. Another way you could react is you could blame people. Blame your wife. Blame your husband. It's those Republicans that are making this thing bad. It's those Democrats. What do you do? You blame somebody. Another possibility that a lot of people do is they just start to feel bad about themselves. They move into a very evil area of, of self-pity. The reason everything must be wrong is because I'm a bad person. I must be a failure. I should have anticipated this. And that's one of the worst places you could go. But what's the most practical thing of all, Paul says? Paul says the most practical thing you could do if you're a believer in Jesus Christ is you can say this is a day, it seems, in which spiritual, natural evil is lined up against me. And then Paul is telling us, on, look at here, on the evil day, put on the full armor of God, realize you're struggling with more than flesh and blood, and you will stand. Guys, there is nothing more practical than this. So in just the next few minutes, I'm gonna give you four introductory tips about spiritual warfare, and then over the next three, week, we're gonna, three weeks, we're gonna dive deeper. Does that sound good? Yes. Let me give you four introductory remarks about spiritual warfare that you need to know to get started. Everybody said, I'm ready. ready. All right, here we go. Number one, write this down, and we'll pick up next week. Number one. You need to understand that real Christianity is a fight. Real Christianity is a fight. It truly is a war that is waged against the kingdom of God. Now, if you pay attention, you will start to see evidence of it. Now, I want you to think with me for just a minute how evidence comes out. Typically, it comes out in culture. I want you for a minute to think about where culture is going today. Who do you think is influencing that? Do you know one of the names for Satan, one of the things that he's called, look up on the screen, he's called, watch this, he's called the ruler of the power of the what? Of the air. The ruler of the power of the air who is at work among people whose whole lives consist of disobeying God. Now, what does that phrase mean, the ruler of the power of the air? It has to do with culture. 
It has to do with general sentiment, what is going on out there, the vibe of culture. What do you think he means when he says this? My son, I was telling him, we're going to kick off a series for four weeks on spiritual warfare. And he said, oh, dad. He goes, you know what you just reminded me of when we were talking? He said, did you see this in the news? This just came out. Go ahead and put it up on the screen for me. Manhattan congressional candidate pushes a porn video to highlight his sex-positive platform. And he released 30 minutes of his own porno. What kind of a culture are we living in today? And I'm going to tell you, he's going to get a lot of votes. Oh, he's sex positive. We're okay. I want to ask you, who do you think is affecting that kind of thinking? You know, I'm so excited about our Bullard uh, campus. I, again, you got to go check it out at least at some point, even if you regularly attend at this spot. But, but I, I'm going to tell you, when I was there at the barbecue the other day, I met uh, a woman who is living on the property, the church property, but it's in the dirt area, the ex, like the 10 acres of land that we have that we will develop someday into a sports complex. You heard right. Okay. Anyway, she's living out there, but she's living in a tent. She's 80 years old. 80-year-old living in a tent. Her grandson is living with her. He's 27 years old, and he's primarily living with her because he doesn't want her to be alone family of drug and alcohol addicts and all of this kind of stuff. So these kids in church come and they say, Shane, is there something we could do? So we walk over and talk. She's the sweetest lady you've ever, ever met. Her name is Gloria. And uh, her son's name is Anthony. And uh, so what does the church do? The church begins to rally around them and say, hey, you don't need to sleep on this dirt. Let's first of all get you somewhere more comfortable. And let's see how we can begin to help you. And how we can begin to love you. But here's what got me. Here's what got me. I'm going through the neighborhood app and I see that people have commented that claim to attend this church, my church, who are saying, I'm sick of seeing these dirty people. I work too hard, different comments, I work too hard to live in a neighborhood. There's going to be an encampment that starts. Who do you think affects culture when we care more about how our neighborhood looks than we do the human person that is made in the image of God that is suffering, that probably we're not even praying a prayer for? Who do you think causes us to think that way? I'm telling you, we are in a war for culture. Now, I want to tell you something, and I want everybody to understand this, and I hope that you grasp this. Do you know how you can tell a genuine Christian? You can tell a genuine Christian as much from the warfare, warfare and conflict in their life as much as you can tell from their peace. And I say that because a lot of people talk about peace. Well, when you come to Jesus, you're going to have peace in your life, and that's true. But it's also true that you're going to have a new warfare in your life. You're going to have a new conflict in your life. Why? Because by allying with Jesus, immediately you're going to make enemies of natural and supernatural evil forces. The way you know you're a Christian is not just through your peace, it's through your conflict. It's what you're willing to take a stand against. I'll never forget about 100 years ago, a great scholar, pastor, Bishop of Liverpool by the name of J.C. Ryle, he wrote this. I just want to read it to you. It was a challenge to the church. This was 100 years ago. He said, let me talk to you about true Christianity. 
He says, there's a vast quantity of religion current in the world that is not true, genuine Christianity. It satisfies sleepy consciences, but it's not the real thing which was called Christianity 1,900 years ago. He continues and says, there are thousands of men and women who go to chapels and churches every Sunday. They call themselves Christians. Their names are in the baptismal register. They're, they're reckoned Christians while they live by friends. They're married in a Christian church service. They want to be buried in a Christian service when they die. But you never see any fight about their religion. You never see any spiritual strife. You never see any exertion. You never see any conflict. You never see any self-denial. You don't see them watching and warring. It is the saddest symptom of so many so-called Christians, the utter absence of anything like conflict or fight. What did he say? He says, these Christians, they eat, they drink, they dress, they work, they amuse themselves, they get money, they spend money, they go through a scanty round of formal religious services once, even twice a week, but the great spiritual warfare, it's watchings and strugglings, it's agonies, it's anxieties, it's battles, it's contests. Of this, they know nothing at all. Here's the question that he asks. I'm gonna put this one on the screen. J.C. Brown, he asked this of Christians. He says, do you find your heart is in a spiritual struggle? Are you conscious of it? Do you feel a war going on with your inward man? If you do, thank God for it, because that's a good sign. That is a strong evidence that you are a Christian. See, this is what Jesus meant when he said, if you look at Matthew chapter 11, he says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and what did the violent do? The violent take it by force. Guys, I'm just gonna speak to you from the heart here. My last three points are much faster. But some of you have been Christian for a while. I wanna ask you, do you remember what it was like in the beginning when you said to yourself, I'm gonna fight this habit? When you said to yourself, I'm gonna fight my laziness and get up in the morning to spend time with Jesus? Do you remember that? You remember what it was like when you said, I'm gonna get up every day and pray and give that to God. I'm gonna read the scripture. I'm gonna find, I'm gonna dig through this Bible until I find the one thing that's gonna tell me how to get over this thing in my life. Remember when you had that kind of desire? And I'm gonna practice it every day until I can work it into my life and I'm gonna become accountable to other people and I'm gonna join a small group. Do you remember when you were alert? and awake. Every day I'm gonna get up for 30 minutes and read the scripture. Remember how hard that was? You remember how much work that was? That was a fight in your life. Now, write this down. I'm gonna give you these last three points much faster. You ready? Here's the second thing I want you to know. No. Number two, the fight is genuine. It's real. And I say that because I know there are people who are looking at me right now or watching. Maybe you're over there in Kerman and you're watching or, or Lifeway and you're saying, come on, you believe in such a thing as the devil? How could you? That's stupid. <laughs> I used to do this skit and I, I used to you know, pretend that I was Satan. I'd walk out. I did this in England in public school assemblies. And I was a great devil, by the way. I would walk out, a great Lucifer, and I'd go, well, hello. 
who am I? I'm Satan. And then I'd look at all these high schoolers and I'd go, you don't believe in Satan? That's okay. And then I'd begin to name off sin. What is this? This is sin. You don't believe in sin? That's okay. And then I would take this ribbon and I would wrap up all these kids who were in this drama and I'd start putting them into bondage. And, they, and I'd say, they'd say, what are you doing? And I'd say, well, I'm Satan. They'd say together, we don't believe in Satan. What would I say back? That's okay. They said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm putting you all into sin. They said, we don't believe in sin. What did I say? That's okay. And then I start pulling them off the stage. This is how it ends. They said, where are you taking us? I said, I'm taking you all to hell. Guess what they said? We don't believe in hell. What did I say? That's okay. That's how it ended. <laughs> Isn't that encouraging? <laughs> I want to ask you, if you don't believe in the devil, I want to ask you, on what grounds do you object? And I'll just throw some questions at you. For example, do you believe in a good supernatural? Or in other words, do you believe in God? Do you believe in heaven at all? Because if you do, then I want to ask you, on what basis could you possibly deny the idea of a bad supernatural? Or could I ask you this? Do you believe everything that Jesus said? Do you think Jesus is the man? Because look, Jesus said... He was describing a situation, quite literally giving a history to his disciples in response to some questions, and he said to them, I actually saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So you can take him at his word for it. See, there's none of this picking and choosing. Well, I'm going to choose to believe this, and I'm not going to believe this. I just want to say, if you're here and you don't believe in the supernatural, I want you to know you can't prove it doesn't exist. What you're making is a faith commitment to believe it doesn't exist. You're in the same boat I am. Except I'm just saying there's lots of evidence for it. But we're all in the same boat. What's the first step toward believing? Start to doubt your doubts when it comes to the supernatural. The fight is real. Number three, write this down. Write this down. The fight you've got to always remember is the Lord's. Now, this is one of the most important principles of spiritual warfare. You've got to understand this. The fight is the Lord's fight. Now, because I know it could be when it comes to the supernatural, many of you, you've been looking at Christian TV and you've been seeing those preachers come on and they're saying things like, let's go beat up the devil. Let's go attack the devil. Come on, devil, we're going to rock you and sock you. You, you, you. you see these people that are going after, and they tell the devil, what's up? And I just want to say to you, no. What does the Bible say that your job is? The Bible says that your job is to be strong in the who. It's not to focus on the devil. It's to focus on the who. It's to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, not your own might, not your authority as if we've been good enough or we're strong enough. No, it says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when that evil day comes, you may be able to what? Stand your ground. Listen to me. This is what God wants you to do. He wants you to stand. And he says, after you've done everything to stand, stand therefore. What's your job? Is it to go to war and go demon hunting? No, it's to stand your ground. 
That's how you do warfare in God's kingdom. We don't go devil hunting. Now, why would he say this, by the way? Because I gotta tell you, is that what you do in a war? I mean, if you're really in a war, don't you attack? Don't you wanna go out and win? Don't you wanna go out into the enemy's camp? Why does he say, I want you to stand? And he says, and after you've done everything to stand, just keep standing. Why would he say that? I'm gonna tell you why. You gotta get this. Here's the reason. You ready? Everybody say, I'm ready. Here it is. Jesus has already won the offensive victory. He's already won it. All your job is to stand your ground. But the fight is already won. Listen to me. You're not in this war to win the fight. You're in this war to take care of the ground that's already been won on your behalf. Stand up. Stand and be the person that God's called you to be. Victory has already been won for you at the cross. Do you know why so many Christians walk around defeated? Because those Christians don't understand they're still fighting to win. They don't realize if you're fighting to win, you're not fighting the battle that Jesus fought because the battle that Jesus fought has already been won. Your job is to stand and say, Jesus, I trust you. In spite of this evil day, I will stand. Colossians 2, 14 and 15, it says, he embarrassed the principalities and powers. He's defeated them. You know what we're like, guys? We're like a football team that is up 72 to nothing, and all we need to do is keep standing our ground. We need to just hold it. We don't have to score any more points. We just have to stop the team from doing what they're wanting to do. And, and that's the kind of victory God says, I want you to walk in. Stand firm. Why? Ask Job. Ask Job, by the way. If you don't know who Job is, he's a character in the Bible, ask him about the evil day. He'll tell you. God let Satan come after him. He couldn't do anything about the loss of his kids. He couldn't do anything about the loss of his health. He couldn't do anything about the loss of his job. But he said, though he slay me, I will trust him. The fight is the Lord's. But what do you do? You ready? Write this down. Last thing, then we're done. The believing that's ours. And by believing, I mean trusting. It says, in the knowledge of his might, you revel in it, his greatness coming over you and around you and through you. What do you think it means? For example, in Philippians 2, it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you. Now, do you know what salvation means? It says, work out your salvation. Salvation means deliverance. Work out your deliverance. You're delivered. Some of you, you keep waiting. God, deliver me. God says, I've already delivered you. But you need to learn to stand your ground. You need to learn to stand up under trial. You need to learn to stand up under temptation. Jesus says, I've paid for the victory. You're right before me. Let me ask you a question. Whoever said believing doesn't take effort? Standing takes effort. You're here and you feel like God is withdrawn. You're here and you experience temptations all around you. I do too. You're not alone. You don't feel his power. Some days I don't either. But friend, listen to me. Christianity is a fight. 
It's a fight to stand. And what do you do? You obey. You obey thinking about his greatness. You have your mind filled with it. You're consumed by it. Is there a fight in your life? Let's pray. Father, thank you for my friends. These men and women. Lord, it's in you and through you that we want to, Lord, we want to, we want to glorify you. And we want to be obedient to you. We ask, oh Jesus, that you would just help us to do that. We ask, oh God, that you would make us into the people that you've called us to be. We give you the glory. We give you the praise. There's no one like you. If you're here and you've not made a commitment to Jesus Christ, I want you to know that you can. You just gotta say, Jesus, I want you to come into my life. I'm gonna pray that. You can join me in prayer. Say it in your heart or out loud. Just say this with me. Jesus I want you to come into my life. Fill me with your spirit. Change me. Forgive me of my sin. And make me Lord. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen.